the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. And before I get to my guest this evening, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. <clears throat> if I don't choke to death first, um, I have been asked repeatedly, I don't know if repeatedly is quite right, to uh, share some of my experiences in the Vietnam War. And in the uh, mid-1980s into the 1990s, Bob Cornett and I wrote a series of books called Vietnam Ground Zero about a fictional Green Beret team in Vietnam. And those are being republished I jokingly say they've been translated into English because the publisher is now English. They came out originally. Well, actually, they were originally published by a Canadian publisher, now that I think about it. Anyway, um, they're being republished, and in a way of kind of promoting the books and that sort of thing, um, and create my bona fides, I suppose, um, I put up a blog at uh, vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com. Vietnamgroundzero, all word, one word, all lowercase. And these are some of my experiences in the Vietnam War. Um, tried to be as careful with the facts as I could be, but I'm dealing with memories that are 50 years old, so I might have got some of the information wrong. Got some records I can look at and some uh, earlier writings that I can look at to help me make this thing as accurate as possible. But I thought I'd just mention that. I also reactivated something called the Science Fiction Site, which is, of course, the Science Fiction Site at dogblogspot.com, and it's just science fiction stories that I've produced or information about uh, science fiction things that might be of interest to some of the people who regularly listen to this program. But I thought I'd mention that at the beginning here. I am going to be joined by James McQuiston. He is a fellow with the Society of Antiquities of Scotland, although he lives in the United States. He received this honor after a few decades of researching and writing about Scottish clans. McQuiston has authored several books and a considerable number of web and magazine articles. In the fall of 2016, he made contact with the crew of treasure hunters on Oak Island, Nova Scotia, led by Rick and Marty Lugana and Greg Tester. And we've talked about this program uh, uh, in the past here. He is also a member of the Royal Nova Scotia Histo Nova Scotia. <laughs> Historical Society and the National Treasure of Trust of Scotland. His theory about the treasure ranked as number six on a special 25 episode, top 25 episode of The Curse of Oak Island in 2019. He has appeared on the show five times so far. The first piece of information he passed on to the Oak Island team is that his own distance cousin, Sir Ian McDonald McEustin, McEustin uh, is a premier knight baronet of Nova Scotia, a title first received in 1625. 
Uh, he is certain the Oak Island mystery began with an attempt by Scots to settle Nova Scotia in the early 1600s, ending with their expulsion in 1632. He feels they left behind a cache of treasure and goods on Oak Island and were never able to retrieve it due to the French taking over Nova Scotia and the War of Three Kingdoms beginning in Great Britain. He backs all his theories up with historical documents, logic, and science where available. His latest book is Oak Island and the Mayflower. Welcome to A Different Perspective. Hi, it's nice to be with you today. Oh, and, and by you, the way, uh, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you. Um, <clears throat> so you've been you've been to Oak Island, obviously, five times at least. Well, actually, I've been on the island ten times uh, over a three-year period because uh, sometimes they would just say, come on down and hang out. Other times it would be for a specific meeting. One time we went up to New Ross, so we met on the island and milled around there for a couple hours till they got the film crew ready, and we went up to see the foundation at New Ross. But, uh, yes, and I've been in five, I believe it's five war room meetings at this point. Um, one wasn't filmed at all, and one was... Uh, filmed in 2017 and it wasn't used but then the other ones have been or will be used let's put it that way but about 12 hours up. go ahead you contacted them and then they invited you to come up to uh, oak island yeah how it came about was i was finishing up or or actually republishing speaking of that uh a McQuiston book that I did for our family, a big 286-page uh, book with all the information I could find about us. And one of the things in it was uh, the story about Surrey and McDonald. The way they used to pronounce that is McQuiston, like the, uh, McQuiston. But believe me, I've heard uh, four people who speak Gaelic tell me how you pronounce it, and I still can't tell you how it is. But anyway, it came out McQuiston for my family. But, um, and so I just, I had been watching Oak Island only since season three. I missed the first two seasons and I was kind of nonchalantly watching it. And then I thought Oak Island, Nova Scotia, premier baronet of Nova Scotia. Gee, I wonder if they have anything to do with each other. So I only looked into it a little bit, but I sent them an email, uh, saying, have you folks ever looked into this? And I had no intention of writing any books at this point. I was on, I only just wanted to share that information. They immediately wrote back, I mean, within a day or so, and said, we would like to speak with you. And they had Paul Troutman call me, and he talked for an hour asking a lot of questions. Uh, most of them I didn't have the answers to, but I knew kind of where I could find them. So we started trading emails. Uh, uh, other people got on board to where I've now got just about everybody's email uh, so i call it my oak island team but um i would be sending them emails and some of them were very long and so at one point uh one of them wrote me and said you know you need to write a book because all of this that you've been sending us is just gonna it only exists in our emails and it's gonna get lost and so i said yeah i think i'll i'll, I'll try to do that so i did and that was oak island missing links and uh, it was more generic than the, the rest of the books because I hadn't determined my final theory yet. But well, let's, uh, let's 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 do this because I, I think one of the things that interested me and and it's really not covered well in the introduction. Um, they did a special on the top a top twenty five episode, which they were looking at twenty five different theories of what Oak Island the treasure might be or what's buried there. Is yeah. is that the way that? Yes, and and, and they had. Uh, three voting blocks. Uh, I know that one was the Oak Island team itself. One was uh, tour people that came on the tour. I don't know what the third voting block was. I suspect that I made it as high in the numbers as I did because of the Oak Island team, because every time I've gone there, they just keep pummeling me with questions. I well, your but but here's here's where we need to go with this. What was your theory? Okay, well, uh, Nova Scotia was granted to this 
uh, he was actually Scottish, but he was working for the king in England, and his name was William Alexander, and this is all known history, and that was in 1621, and he started sending ships there, uh, but he never really got a successful settlement there until 1629. Well, let me inter- uh, let me interrupt here because you just said something interesting. You said they never got a civil uh, uh, a settlement there. Are you talking on Oak Island or Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia itself. Uh, they they made a few attempts till they finally got one, and it was on the other side of Nova Scotia where the French had been settled, and they chased the French out. Well, uh, the kings of England and France were brother-in-laws, and they made a deal to, uh, for a certain amount of money, the king of England would give Nova Scotia back. So he kind of stabbed his knight's baronet in the back, and uh, they had invested a lot of money. Each one of them had invested a lot of money. So in March of 1632, they were uh, told to head home, and it was a relatively peaceful departure. They were allowed to take their weapons and their gold and silver and whatever but the problem with that is that you can't sail across the north atlantic in april which is when they would have been trying to sail across and i have that uh from old contemporary writings from champlain and in uh newer i i was uh i had a nice meeting with a sea captain up there that rick lagina set up and just weather, Noah weather records, whatever, I it, it's pretty much proven that they could not have sailed back. So the first notice in England that they got back was in June. So they had to have spent somewhere, spent their time somewhere. And what I believe they took with them when they went there originally was a stolen treasure, or, or at least part of it, that they had intended to finance Nova Scotia with because you can't just go there with nothing and with a bunch of men and not have some kind of uh, amount of money, you know, to to carry on business because they intended to stay there. And that treasure that was stolen has never been uh, it's never been discovered where it ever went. Well, we do we have document do we have documentation about this treasure? Yes, it's was documented in the court case. It was documented in the Privy Council minutes of the king and it was documented in of all places freemasonry records the man who stole it was indicted and was waiting trial for two years and then all of a sudden he got a full pardon and became a full partner with william alexander and basically his right hand man and that and these 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 were the people coming to nova scotia in the 1600s right and it was more their like the sons of William Alexander and uh, each night baronet had to provide six people that were tradesmen, a blacksmith, you know, builders, whatever. And uh, so they had invested the men and the money to do this because they thought they were going to build a new country. And I'm sure William Alexander intended to name himself King of Nova Scotia. I have a lot of evidence in my books. So I believe that when they were trying to leave, they came around the horn of Nova Scotia from the leeward side and into the bad weather of the North Atlantic, went up the coast and pulled into Mahone Bay, which would be the absolute best place to pull in to get out of the storm. I believe they lost the ship in there. And in fact, on my second book, I actually put a sunken ship on the cover. And, uh, and that was back in 2018, uh, so I believe that they buried what they had to and what they did not want to take back with them. And they, I believe they only thought this was a bump in a road because it had already been a real struggle from 19 or 1622 all the way up to 1632. It had already been a 10-year struggle. And well, let me, inter- let, me, let me interrupt quickly here. Um, would they have had the, the knowledge or the capability of, of digging a money pit as large as it's and as deep as it's supposedly shown on the various programming? Well, they had within the family alone, uh, the Alexander family, they had two different men that served as the master of public works for Scotland, building castles and and cathedrals and bridges and all that. And uh, William Alexander and one of his sons were the masters of mining in Scotland, and they actually had a 180-foot 
hand-dug silver mine in Scotland. And but all the all the people that went over had to be craftsmen. They had to have some kind of skill. And the ships themselves, you know, generally had a, you know, a group of craftsmen on them to rebuild the mast if it broke or patch the ship or whatever. So they had. Well, let me, let me, I'm sorry, let me break in. I need to break in once more because I got to take a commercial break. We're coming up against a hard break here. Okay. Um, I I did want to say that. there are some other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Take a look at the listings on the X-Zone website, and you'll find something that will spark your interest, I'm sure. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to James, Jim, about uh, his family's connection to the Money Pit and uh, Oak Island. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. with James Quiston. We are practicing social distancing. I'm at my house. I'm sure he's at his and the studio is somewhere else. So we're not contaminating one another in today's environment. When we went away, we were talking about the, uh, I guess the Scots abandoning Nova Scotia under duress, uh, unable to cross the North Atlantic in April. And we know how well that worked out for the Titanic, don't we? I just thought I'd throw that in for some purpose. I have no idea. Um, And I was always bothered by, and it it gets back to the point we were talking about just before we took our break, that uh, I didn't think a pirate or a pirate ship, the people on a pirate ship would have the capability of creating the great money pit, as it's been described in all the books and, and all of that. But from what you're talking about when the Scots abandoned Nova Scotia, they had with them the people who had that kind of capability. They had that kind of knowledge to do something like that, as it's been described. Yes, they were actually there to build 100 towns all the way around the coast. So they were they were already determined to build when they got there. And they did build a, a fort at Charles Fort at uh, Port Royal. But another element to this is that it's often said that it would take a long time to pull this off, but Gilbert Hedden, which you may have heard his name on the show a few times, he owned the island for a number of years in the 30s, and he was an engineer, and he wrote in his book, uh, well, actually wrote it in a, in a letter to a gentleman uh, in 1967, that he thought the money pit could be built in uh, one summer season with uh, 50 to 100 men, and uh, two other engineers that studied it in more recent years, Graham Harris and Les McPhee, wrote a book, Oak Island and Its Lost Treasure. And they said essentially the same thing. And they were both engineers. Um, so I think that uh, it's it, it people look back at, at people from that age and think that they were rudimentary. Not, But you look at... Uh, you look at the castles and cathedrals, and and we can't even reproduce what people used to do back in those days. Everything nowadays, not everything, but an awful lot nowadays, is done very sloppily. By a lounge chair today, will fall apart in a couple of years. If you bought it twenty years ago, it'd still be sitting there in the corner. So, you know, it's just the way it's been. Um, you mentioned the Titanic. The the other than the fact that it fell apart, the craftsmanship in there was so great that they wouldn't even try to reproduce it nowadays. So they were used to doing hard things with manual labor, and uh, they also had uh, a good motive because they wanted to. In in my theory, anyway, they wanted to hide the treasure and possibly some other items. I believe one of their ships wrecked there, and the reason why is because uh, there's so many parts from ships that have been found on the island, and if you look at where Oak Island is, it's way in the back of the bay, and there's a whole lot of other places that uh, parts from ships would have got hung up on before they ever made it back to to uh, Oak Island, 
So I that made me think that there was a, a shipwreck closer to Oak Island. And in fact, in 2019, I found out there was because Rick Lagina had sent, set up this meeting with this sea captain who also was a lifelong treasure hunter. And he actually dove on the shipwreck. He told me it has 32 cannons on it. He uh, he pulled up silverware from it that has the same family crest or emblem as the guy that stole the treasure. Well, the other I, thing, the, the, the other thing, I, I wasn't, when we looked at it originally, it was supposedly pirate treasure, and I didn't think pirates would have the technical know-how to build something like that. Not that the people in the 1600s couldn't have constructed it, but you needed a special kind of person, a special right. tra- trained people to do that. And what you're saying, they, they certainly had that that there. Yes. But the other thing that strikes me is an awful lot of what they found on the island now um and it's not buried very deep, suggest a British presence on the island as opposed to a Scottish presence or a French presence. Right, and, uh, and I don't believe that the Scots were on the island very long. But uh, the island, What another thing a lot of people miss is that they actually surveyed the island in uh, 1762, which was 30-some years before the money pit was found, and they were logging it and uh, growing crops on it. So... To find uh, ox shoes from the 1700s doesn't really mean anything in regard to the treasure. Because well, my, my point, that was my point exactly. But here's the other thing that, that you just said, there were people farming on the island. Yet I understood from reading some of the earlier materials about Oak Island that the three boys were inspired to go to Oak Island because there had been strange lights seen on the island at night and things like that. But from what you're saying, that would have been evidence of the people who were either working the island or living on the island. There, was, there wouldn't be anything strange about fires or lights on the island uh, prior to the discovery of the money pit. Right, and the people, those boys, uh, their fathers owned land there already. Uh, There's a lot of land records available from about uh, 1755 on is where the, they founded Halifax in 1749, but they were still under pressure with the French because the French and Indian War was still going on. And, uh, but that's when they started bringing, inviting people to, settled because they wanted to have a presence of people there and uh, eventually they brought the germans over to lunenburg for the same reason so they would have friendly people living nearby but they were practically given the uh island lands away to anybody that wanted them and they went they surveyed it in 1762 and those are the same lots they use today the exact same lots there's i believe 32 of them and uh so uh, again, a lot of the surface finds, even though they're very interesting, uh, and I've actually been able to hold some of them, and I had to hold my tongue about them for almost a year <laughs> because they told me, you can look at this but, and touch it, but don't tell anybody. But uh, uh, they are interesting, and they tell somewhat of the story, but I'm always about digging down deep. You know, when they pulled up bones from 150 feet and they pulled that parchment up years ago, and all that there's no there's no excuse or logical reason for those to be down there if somebody's just farming or you're just logging you know but we also but you have to remember that after the alleged discovery of the money pit uh an awful lot of people dug an awful lot of holes and an awful lot of tunnels on that island all over the place trying to get at that specific money pit so when you find something buried deep I'm not overly concerned about that. I think that uh, it can be explained by all that activity on the island. I'm surprised the island has been has, hasn't sunk into the ocean as much excavation that has gone on on it. Yeah, the um, Swiss cheese island. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is, uh, you know, they they found a coin. I think it was uh, dated 1632, and and they were all excited about that. And I said, you know. I've got a half dollar that was minted in 1950, or I'm sorry, 1855. And if I dropped it out uh, in the parking lot tomorrow, it doesn't mean that it was been there since 1855. It just means it was minted there. And, and that's not a way of dating anything by the dates on coins and, and that sort of thing. So I, I wonder, they've got an archaeologist and he must explain that to them. Yeah, actually now this year they have a, a team of them, but uh, um Laird 
is Laird Niven. I've met him, and he's uh, extremely sincere business-like person is, is all I can say. And uh, this year they've got, uh, I don't know, four new four new archaeologists in there. And I don't know if that had something to do with not having much staff because of COVID. Or one of the things is if they're digging somewhere that's already been dug, they don't need any permits. But if they find something new, they have to get a, a permit from Nova Scotia government. And they're pretty darn strict. And uh, so, it, it, like, they showed me a spot. They showed me Samuel Ball's uh, foundation uh, a year or more before they worked there. But they said, we can't go over to it. I think we had to stay back 200 feet because they didn't have a permit yet. So... Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, and there might be other reasons to be there, for things to be there, but when there's like a axe-cut piece of wood pulled out of the Money Pit area that dates to as far back as 1626, then that uh, makes you wonder, and I'd love to hear that, because that would fall right into to my date. So, you know, I, I wish they had a, a, a carbon dating set up lab right there on the island and every time they found something they rushed it in i, I told them a long time ago everything should be databased you know because you can when you database items then you take step back and take the big picture view then but then you also know that you, you also know that you also know that radiocarbon dating isn't all that accurate yeah i know uh, and, especially that new that something that new um and they always give a range but i noticed last night on the program they took I, I think the earliest date and they didn't say well it could have you know it could have been put there sometime between 1630 and 1680 or something like that they just picked the earlier date and ran with it and it kind of bothered me uh, last night when they were talking about it that way and it's uh, kind of strange wood obviously is the basis for carbon dating because carbon comes from wood and one of the additional elements that wood would have uh, other than or that an animal byproduct wouldn't is that they don't know when the tree fell. So they somebody could have came along and found a tree that had felt fallen 50 years ago, decided to use it in their log cabin. You know, so so they used to give a range of 75 to 80 years. Uh, now they give a range of 25 years. I don't know why. They've changed that. But, yeah, I understand that it's uh, it's not an exact science. I was glad to see them start using tree ring uh, counting because that's a little bit more precise. Uh, a, a lot of the dates are guesswork, um, but th that was one of the reasons I thought my theory could be correct because I took a, a group of uh, carbon dating records and I kind of bar graphed the oldest and early or oldest and latest dates that each one of those items could have come from. And the window that they created was uh, 1620 to 1660, which would cover my, uh, my storyline. So that was encouraging too, because uh, uh, you know, you got to take whatever you can take, but that's one of the reasons why I go to the history books, because if I can find documents that, you I mean, I have not yet found a document that says that they buried something on Oak Island, but I found documents that show that uh, Knights Baronet owned Mahone Bay, two different Knights Baronets owned Mahone Bay, three actually, during history, and another one owned uh, 16,000 acres just down below from Mahone Bay at what they call Port Mutton, and uh there's uh i'm working on a seventh book right now believe it or not uh, of course you know about writing a lot of books but this is a uh, where it connects oak island to that new ross location and there are a number of indications that the alexander families themselves their property was up at new ross so well, let me there's... let me break let me break in here because I've, I've got a couple of questions and we're going to have to take a break here okay pretty quick um but what I wanted to say was, uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk about Joy jo Steele's theory about what it was, uh, what what really happened on on Oak Island, and uh, the idea that the British had built some kind of a ship repair area on Oak Island, which would explain an awful lot of the things that have been found 
by their excavations and suggesting a, a longer history of inhabitation at Oak Island than we originally had thought when we started talking about the 1795 date, which is when the boys had uh, found the money pit. I always worried about that uh, idea, and I think you've, you've taken it away now, that there was some kind of mystery on Oak Island with strange lights and things prior to them being over there. So when we come back, we'll kind of look into that sort of thing. And I did want to uh, thank those of you who have purchased the best of Project Blue Book, which is the latest book I had published. It's been up and down on the uh, Amazon bestsellers list. So if you've enjoyed it, please take a look at it. Uh, maybe write a review, rate it. It helps spread the word. And I'd like you to take a look at Encounter in the Desert and Roswell in the 21st Century. And also, when you get a chance, look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and the other two blogs that I've just started. We will be back right after this. So please stick around. James McQuiston, we're talking about Oak Island. Um, we've established, I guess, that the Scots were there in the 1600s. I think that the excavations that have been done by the Leganus boys and uh, their teams suggest a major British presence there uh, prior to 1795. I think what they've what they've discovered there suggests some kind of a ship repair facility. Uh, which may explain everything that that has been found on Oak Island. Um, and what I wanted to um, kind of touch on, I talked to Joy Steele a number of years ago, and she said that um, they had found uh, oak tar pits up and down the uh, east coast of the United States into Canada. And she suggested that Oak Island may have been some kind of a repair facility for ships. You've suggested, of course, Mahone Bay was a protected area, and Oak Island is a a logical place to set up some kind of facility like that where you could repair ships that may have been damaged in crossing the Atlantic or needed uh, repairs and resupply. Um, are you familiar with Joy, Joy Steele's theories? Yes, I am. Um, in, 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 uh, you know, I, I know she bases hers around 1720. Um, there is no actual evidence that there was anything there in 1720. And there's also no evidence that there were uh, necessarily tar kilns on Oak Island. Even the one that they keep showing this season, they have not found residue, tar residue in it. So uh, they, there has to be, if that's where it ends up going, there has to be a lot more evidence to it. But uh, in my latest book, which is Oak Island and the Mayflower, uh, it's, it's a continuation of me showing... Uh, historic documents and records that are telling the story from a different point of view of digging something out of the ground. And in this case, everybody, virtually everybody who first settled Oak Island was either a Freemason uh, from the families of the Knights Baronet of Nova Scotia or from the from Mayflower families, or at least people who came right afterwards and settled in Plymouth or Boston. And so uh, I originally, in my first few books, I, I attacked it from the, the history from the 1600s and what might have happened. But I was slowly realizing that if you jump to the 17 and 1800s and start looking at the people who moved there or searched for treasure there, they came out of a certain group of people, FDR being the number one example, because not only did he descend from a number of Mayflower people, but he was a grandmaster of Freemasonry, and he actually traces back to a guy that owned Mahone Bay, who was a Knights Baronet of Nova Scotia. So he's my prime example. But uh, everybody's books can be criticized, including mine. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't stand above anybody else. I know uh, some a couple of books, particularly Randall Sullivan's, 
he never he put a timeline in for Nova Scotia and he never even mentioned the year that it was founded and who founded it and then how the name came about. So I don't think you can ignore all of this history. Like, for instance, there's a, 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 a charter for Mahone Bay it was called something different back then from 1630, these same Scots. And, and I'm the only one mentioning that. I'm the only one mentioning anything in here. Well, I, I say I'm the only one. I'm not. I'm the only one that's mentioning it in detail. But six other authors have pointed to William Alexander as possibly being the, the uh, behind it or at least aware of it. And those include some pretty heavy hitters. Reginald Harris, who was considered the first book writer on Oak Island. Court Lindahl. Uh, Mark Finnan, who's a very prolific and great writer on Nova Scotia, and some other people as well. So, um, but but here's I think here's here's the point. I think here's the point. I think that that you have established that there's a history of at Oak Island that goes much much beyond 1795. It starts much earlier than that, and that some of the things that appeared in like Darcy O'Brien's book, um, The Big Dig. Uh, suggesting that there was something mysterious about Oak Island prior to the boys getting there to uh, start the uh, digging on Oak Island. Um, So there's a history that that precedes that, a great history that precedes that. I'm wondering here, though, that you have said that the Scots were chased off or chased out of Nova Scotia. It was ceded to the French, and then the British came back and got it back. Uh, but I'm wondering is if you, you look into the 1700s, you've got some kind of a British uh, military occupation on on the island, some kind of naval op- occupation where it would be a good place to repair ships and that sort of thing. And it seems like some of the stuff that they've been finding in the last couple of seasons supports that idea. It looks like they're they're looking at docks. They're looking at those sorts of facilities they're finding they're finding debris suggesting that uh, you're repairing a ship and you throw it overboard uh, the, the debris you throw it overboard and that's what they're finding now and i don't see anything that really um suggests that that's not a viable thought and that to me kind of takes away the idea that there's some kind of treasure buried there that it was a place that was used for literally hundreds of years um, and that's why they find these materials. And there's really no great evidence of a buried treasure there. They haven't found anything to be suggestive of a of a buried treasure. Well, they did find a piece of parchment in 1897 down about 150 feet. So that is kind of inexplicable. But I would uh, say I, allegedly. I, in, I would say in, allegedly found it. Um, they yeah. also found three gold chain links uh, i think years earlier i'm wondering if some of that was in promotional material created by the people trying to fund uh expeditions to oak island to, to recover the treasure um that that some, some of that material has been salted have, some of it may have been but the man who found the uh parchment uh i mean for what it's worth he swore an affidavit affidavit in front of a justice of the peace and he had a reputation of being a an upstanding citizen from that area. Now all of that could be phony too. But the, one of the issues with my work is that I've written 1,100 pages now of very detailed, every single page is just buried with detail that's backed by documents. And so in a one-hour radio broadcast, I can't do it justice, and they didn't do it justice when I was on the show. You know, they, they tried to, uh, you know, but things get twisted and, and I, I'm not saying this to sell a book. I'm saying if somebody wants to truly understand my theory, um, you know, they need to read at least one of them. Probably Oak Island Knights would be the one that, that tells the theory the best. One thing that we had fun with was uh, a medallion was found up at New Ross from 1671. And the gentleman had held it since the 1970s. They didn't know what it was. I found out what it was. It was a knighthood medallion, and there were only three people that received it that year, and I traced down the other two medallions so we know exactly who it was given to. That was one of the meetings in the war room that never got uh, never got on TV because it was a Saturday morning when we finally talked the gentleman into bringing it to the war room, 
and uh, the whole Prometheus team was off, off and running. But what I'll say overall about the experience is that the people up there are very nice. They're sincerely chasing uh, a sto- the story of Oak Island, uh, regardless of what that story ends up being. Um, and they're open to everybody. They're, they're, you know, they were open to me, certainly. And uh, they've had a lot of other people on there. Rick told me that they get people with theories that come in. And he, he said they expose their, uh, or they explain their theory shortly, but then they have nothing to back it up. And he said, so we sit there and look at each other wondering, well, what, what, we don't even know what question to ask them, you know. And he said, and he said that at least I come in with all the answers, which I do, you know. I, so, anyway, I if I'm one of many theories, but it, just that one show had 25 of them, and a lot of people never made it. Well, I think here's the point, though. I think here's the point. We've we've they've been on the air for six or seven years or eight years now. And I was very excited about that. I've known about Oak Island since the early 1970s and and tried to keep up with what was going on there. But it seems that many of the theories that were looked at earlier, the um, borehole 10X, where they supposedly there was a a box at the bottom of the borehole that they had a, a television footage of, a body at the bottom of it, and this sort of thing. And when they finally got down there, and I'm stunned that a diver could actually go down the borehole and get down to the bottom. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you got to give that guy some props for, I mean, I don't even want to get close to the borehole. But they got down there and there was nothing there. It was uh, optical illusions, I guess would be the best way to say it. it. It just seems to me that every time they've looked at something and we've got some kind of excitement going on, well, look what we've got now. It turns out to be not that great the finds that they make are all basically on the surface and it's all things that you would expect people to have dropped at some point, um, during their lives, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, locket or whatever it was they found that had the, um, red stone in it, for example, was found on the surface. The coins are found on the surface. Um, they've dug up great swatches of the Island and they really haven't come up with anything suggestive of a treasure there. And, and so when I look at all of that and I look at what they found and what you're saying now, it seems to me that what we're looking at is uh, in, the, in the 1700s, a military occupation of some kind with a military installation there. And that accounts for some of the debris they found. And of course, then we've got people living on the islands since that time as well. So that's definitely one theory out of many. Yeah, certainly. But um, what do we what what do we have to suggest there really it was, was a treasure there or is a treasure there? What what do we have to, to, to point to that other than the speculations for 220, 20 some years? Yeah. Well, I know that uh, the boys on the island are as disappointed of as anyone is when something doesn't work out. I also know that there are reasons things don't work out. Uh, one of them is permission. They can't get the permission they need to show something. Another one is permits. They can't get the permits to get in where they need to. Sometimes it's just logistics. I'll tell you one episode, we had a meeting planned for two months with a organ, uh, an institution up there who uh, it's rumored has a whole room full of Oak Island artifacts, and we had eight different connections of that institution to Oak Island. And Rick and Doug and I and the Prometheus team was going to go up there. We had the date and the time all set. Two days before the meeting, they canceled with no excuse why they canceled. So things like that happen, and uh, it, it's a pretty big operation. I mean, I, I think. What's seen on TV is a lot less than what really happens. There's a film crew of probably 12, 16 people. They have a production meeting in the morning. They say, you know, Joe, Sam, and Bill, you're going with Rick and Marty today to Lot 5 or whatever, you know, and they they spread everybody out. But they work all day long. They're out there. They start about 8 in the morning, and they don't get back to about 8 at night. A lot of my 
war room meetings have been late at night. I, I, I have to wait around for them to finally come in. Last, the last time I went, I pared my presentation down to one hour and they kept me in there for four hours and they were a lot more tired than I was, but they kept asking questions. So the, well, there's I'll, no doubt. There's no doubt. I've been involved in productions. I know how that goes. There's an awful lot of hurry up and wait. And there's an awful lot of film that is uh, taken without any kind of results. We're going to have to take our last break here. Your okay. website is www.oakislandgold.com. Oak Island Gold, one word, all lowercase. The latest book is Oak Island and the Mayflower. And as I've said, my latest book happens to be uh, the best of Project Blue Book. I couldn't even remember the name of the book, for crying out loud. The best of Project Blue Book. And I think those interested in the Roswell case would like to take a look at Roswell in the 21st century. And I'm going to promote it once more. Take a look at www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com, which I think you'll find interesting. We will be back right after this with James McKeeston about Oak Island. McQuiston, we're talking about Oak Island, uh, the search for the treasure, and some of the, I guess, problems that originate with not only producing the program, but with trying to divine the history of uh, Oak Island as well. I was fascinated by the idea that it was some kind of a um, um, native structure on the island that related to the dunes and the mounds in the Midwest of the United States, but I guess yes, last night they pretty well uh, debunked that and found it to be something not quite as exciting. Uh, you're familiar, of course, with that, and they, they found the uh, the charcoal bits and that sort of thing? Yes. And uh, I think that it makes it, it sometimes makes it appear that they're grasping at straws, but I think what's happening is they're just filming as they go along. There's no scripting. People that upsets me because I've been filmed for 12 hours and I never once was told anything to say, but uh, Prometheus goal is to have a show, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that cut and dried. And so they're filming as they're going along, not everything's going to work out, but they have all that film footage and they are showing the, the nature of the um, search and the path it's taking. And without, them and without the Oak Island team cooperating, we wouldn't know anything that was going on on the island. So, well, you have you have to you have to admit you have to admit that sometimes you get a tad bit hyperbolic with some of the finds. Oh yeah, and and, and I think that uh, uh, again, it's it's um, Prometheus is on a separate path from the Oak Island team. I guess is the most polite way that I can put it. But I have no bones to pick with anybody up there. They've been nothing but great to me. And uh, they took my wife and I up there three times, and they were very hospitable, and they listened uh, to my theories. And uh, one thing I will say is about the parchment. I mean, we can, I think it was Einstein or somebody said that you can uh, believe that nothing's, a miracle or you can believe that everything's a miracle just how you want to look at life but um, if one of the things they found was the parchment and the very last item on my on the treasure list that was published back in the 1600s was parchment deeds that for these castles that this gentleman owned uh, another thing on the list were two gold chains and they found apparently three links of gold chains so it, well, it, it, let's it, let's let's that. make one let's make one thing clear on the parchment. It's not just a big big sheet of paper. It's just a little tiny scrap with like two letters on it. Right, right. So when we when we talk about parchment, we're not suggesting some large document. It's just a little scrap of paper, which is surprising they could find it uh, given the yes. circumstances. But once again, um, you know, I just look at that stuff and I, I it's it 
concerns me that I think that there was a great deal of oh how would I, uh, a con going on in the in the 19th century as various companies were formed to recover the treasure. And I think the treasure that was being recovered at that time was more of uh, the people owning the company absconding with some of the, the cash that was spent on shares of those companies as opposed to a, a real attempt to find uh, a treasure buried on Oak Island. And that could be true in some cases. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not here to defend what they did on Oak Island for the last 225 years. I went to the documents. That's why I liked going there. I've never written a book about the actual uh, excavations on Oak Island. I think that's been done and overdone. And I'll tell you, uh, Doug Crow has a wonderful website. And there's another one in England, uh, oakislandtreasure.uk.co or something like that. But they have tons of documents. And I would be, I would be, uh, uh, fish out of water in trying to delve into that. But because I had four decades of uh, studying Scottish history, and I'm a fellow with the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland, which I didn't get that by picking my nose. Um, so I, I approached the whole thing from who moved there in the beginning, who was there. Uh, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, if it seems like this mystery would have started when Nova Scotia started. That would just be a logical uh, conclusion because to, to assume it started way, you know, three centuries before that, when there wasn't even anybody known to be living there, except maybe some First Nations people. But uh, so I, I'm a historian. I'm into Scottish history. Uh, it is Nova Scotia means New Scotland. Uh, there were some items found in uh, that, whether they're fake or not, they at least match some of the things that I've been talking about. So in order to understand my theory, at least, uh, again, you'd have to read at least one of my books. And again, probably Oak Island Knights. Well, I think one. I think Repeat. looking at looking at what you've said here today, I uh, was not aware of that prehistory on Oak Island. And I think that's a fascinating thing that should be delved into much more than just starting it at 1795, because you're looking at stuff going on much earlier than that. Yes, I think that's an important aspect of understanding the whole thing. So we have an occupation on the island that starts around 1600. That's nearly 200 years before the boys started digging, digging into the muddy pit. Right. Uh, I, but I'm just looking at what we've seen on the television from a dispassionate point of view, meaning I have no dog in the fight um, and what I've seen and what they've presented to us in in their way suggesting to me that the real mystery is who was building all these things on Oak Island in the uh, 18th century as opposed to um, uh, you know digging up the money pit and and that is where where I'm coming from and it looks like that may be a more viable solution than pirate treasure or Knights Templar treasure or the oh, manuscripts of, of, of uh, Shakespeare. And I think, I don't think that Rick Lagina would disagree with you because when I uh, was in one of my war room meetings and it was played on TV, so I know it somewhat by heart, but he said that the richness of uh, Oak Island is in the story. And he, he firmly believes that. I mean, he listens to everybody's. And if I, one time I was in the war room and I, I wasn't really bad mouthing, but I just kind of was joking about this other theory that had to do with the stars. And he immediately came back with some justification for it. So what he showed me was he is open-minded to hearing everything. They would like to know what went on. The, of course, they'd like to pull up, you know, the Ark of the Covenant or something. But their main searches for the history of the island, what what transpired here? Why did it make millionaires spend millions of dollars and some people like Fred Nolan and Dan Blankenship spend their entire lives there, uh, 50 years apiece? And why well, do you see, people died? And, you know, do, you see, do you see an end game to this? Uh, do, you see it, do you see an end, end game at all? 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the day comes when Oak Island, it, right now it's a tourist attraction, but it's that secondary to, you know, the tourists have to work around the the uh, work on the island. But I could see the day come when tourism is the number one, not driving force necessarily, but the thing that happens every single day there, you know, because uh you know, I a long time ago, I said that the one big thing that the curse of Oak Island kind of hand holds out to everyone is hope, because, you know, you're whether they find anything or not, you're always hoping they do. And you're, you know, who wouldn't want to find I, I was riding around with Charles Barkhouse. We went out to see the Nolan Cross stones because I have a new theory on that. And uh, and um, we were coming back and he was just you know, just so jovial. And I said, well, you've got to be about the happiest man in the world. And he said, well, why wouldn't I be? I search for buried treasure on an island every day of my life. And so I think, you know, I wrote a um, something that is on the wall in the Interpretive Center. And uh, Rick had asked me for a quote. And uh, I thought about it a lot. And I thought, well, what is, uh, what is Oak Island really all about? And I, if, if I can remember it, it's, um, I said, it, Oak, Oak Island is, is not so much about solving the mystery as it is about experiencing the unapologetic fascination of youth again. Because when we were young, you know, I was reading, uh, I'm a little older than you, I was reading Count of Monte Cristo and, and Kidnapped and Treasure Island and stuff like that. And the world can sour a person uh, pretty quickly if they let it, you know, and I'd rather not get soured and keep on, keep on believing, even, you know, I don't want to be a fool about it, but I'd like to keep on believing that there's something out there that that's worth trying, you know, a quest, uh, somebody having a quest in their life. And I admire, that's why I admire Rick particularly, but all of them, because he is on a quest. I, I was told that he works uh, like 20, uh, 24-7 on that island. He's just there every day, or at least seven days a week out there, and every time I've been there, he's been there. And uh, one time, I'll tell you, just quick antidote, because I know we're probably out of time, but uh, we had been on the island talking for quite a while, probably had a meeting that day, and I'm getting ready to leave, and he goes to his pickup truck and gets a chainsaw out. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, we've got the dynamite charges uh, planted out there. I've got to cut new tour paths. And I'm thinking to myself, you are basically the star of the show. Go sit down in a chair and sign autographs and get some flunky to go out and cut your tour pass. But no, he was going out and doing it again. And uh, another person that was standing there, when he, as he walked away, they said, that man, he's he's just keeps working at he's here ten, or seven days a week. So he's dedicated. It's kind of neat to see people dedicated to something and have a quest. Uh, how it'll turn out, I don't know. Like I say, it, it's likely that it'll be, there'll be a, it'll be a tourism site. Let's put it that way. It is now, but I mean, that's secondary well, to the search. But well, let me let me thank you for taking uh, taking time out of your day sure. to share your insights to what's going on in Oak Island. I certainly appreciated it. Oh. the The website is www.oakislandgold.com. Oak Island Gold, all one word, all lowercase. The latest book is Oak Island and the Mayflower, and you've mentioned a number of other books. Thank you for joining me uh, here on A Different Perspective. Thank you. It was so much fun. I'm glad you had fun. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Next week, with any luck at all, we will be having Avi Loeb, the astronomer, the Harvard astronomer, who is talking about the alien artifact that passed through the solar system a couple of years ago. We'll have him on the show, and we'll be able to chat with him about uh, his theories and here's excitement. Maybe uh, trap him into talking about UFOs a little bit and his feeling about the possibilities of interstellar travel and that sort of thing. And in the uh, coming weeks, we'll have additional guests, obviously, uh, talking about the latest uh, trends in ufology, uh, where we're going, what's being found, what's being discovered, possibilities of disclosure or the lack of disclosure, given the fact that we have a... Uh, new administration here in the United States, which I think is going to be awfully busy with uh, what everybody else is busy with right now, which is solving the economic problems and the COVID-19 problems uh, and getting us somewhat back to normal. 
And I always like to to mention uh, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I'll be talking about um, on that. I'll have more information up on there and some links to various uh, sites that'll help you understand maybe a little bit more about Oak Island if that's where you're interested. And as I've said um, a couple of times now, uh, www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com will give you a little insight into my experiences in Vietnam. And the science fiction site will uh, uh, provide you with a look at my feelings on science fiction, things that I think are related to UFOs and uh, the study of ufology. Science fiction kind of crosses into that, that arena, which is how I got into it. Yeah, but you you need to understand that. And and as, as I say, there's other fine programs on the Exxon Broadcast Network um, and about the paranormal. I'm I'm sure there's something that will spark your interest. And again, thank those of you who uh, have bought copies of my books. I certainly appreciate that. It helps me out a little bit and that sort of thing. So you have been listening to a different perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and I'll be back in about 167 hours with a new guest and some new insights. So thank you for tuning in. <laughs>